Hey, keto freaks, this is Carl. Do you or someone you know have trouble focusing? You know what I'm talking about. You sit down to read something, try to figure out your monthly budget, write that novel you've been putting off, or maybe you just can't seem to do one task at a time. Well, you may not know this, but I'm a musician as well as a software developer. Programming is a job that requires focus, long periods of uninterrupted work. It's hard for them and for you. I've created Music to Code By. This is music, yes, but it's specifically and scientifically designed to promote focus. Studies show that when math students were exposed to Baroque music between 60 and 80 beats per minute, they did better with comprehension and testing. So I created more modern music that is neither boring nor distracting, but falls within that tempo range. It's just the right mix. I also made the pieces 25 minutes long. That correlates to research that shows we all get brain fatigue after 20 or so minutes of hard focus. The result is thousands of happy customers. Now, you don't have to be a programmer to reap the benefits of music to code by. It has been known to soothe restless pets, calm fussy babies, and even help autistic kids relax and fall asleep. Listen to some free samples at musictocodeby.net. Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut in the United States. And in February of 2016, I put myself on a ketogenic diet to take control of my metabolism. In just 60 days, I managed to reverse all of the markers of type 2 diabetes that I had just with diet alone. Yeah. Hi, I'm Richard Morris in Canberra, Australia. I've been on a ketogenic diet since April of 2014, so that's two years. Uh, and when I started, I was very sick with complications from type 2 diabetes. And within six months of starting a ketogenic diet, all of my biomarkers of disease had disappeared. And we're going to share the progress of my journey through nutritional ketosis and Richard's experience thriving for years in ketosis. Yeah. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about this kind of dietary hacking. Yeah, we're not doctors. We don't want to give anyone any medical advice, but we are keen to share our own experiences. We're actually both software developers, so we're not afraid of a little technical detail. We've done some research into our own deranged metabolisms and the science behind them, and we hope to share some of that research. And where possible, we intend to put links into the show notes to cite any research supporting the claims that we make. You'll probably work out pretty quickly that we're both foodies. We love to cook and we love to eat. We're also going to share some of the great food that we eat on this diet, and every episode we share a recipe for an essential keto meal that we eat regularly. So, Richard, let's start podcast number 12, yes. The Cancer Show. So, Richard, we can't really say if we have any corrections from last week because we just recorded that show an hour ago. That's right. So, let's, <laughs> so assume, let's assume that we've made some mistakes and we'll put them in the show notes if we've got any. We'll, we'll just apologize yeah, right now. Yeah, we'll so apologize sorry. just in case. Sorry. I want to do a podcast where I'm just apologizing for the previous podcast. <laughs> That's it, that's the kind of, entire content. That's kind of, where did that voice come from? Who's that? That was our special guest today, Mark Miller. I'm going to apologize for that next week's show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
Mark is actually one of the reasons why I'm doing this ketogenic diet. In fact, he and his wife are the reason why I took it up again. But we'll get into that. First of all, let's recap. What is a ketogenic diet? Sure. Richard? Well, a ketogenic diet is to restrict all dietary carbohydrates and get enough protein to, to, to maintain your, your lean body mass and get all of your energy from fat. Whether it's the fat you eat on your plate or the fat from the Krispy Kreme you ate a decade ago. That's right. So as I said, we were recording these shows back to back last week and this week. So we don't really know how we're going yet. And uh, I guess that means we ought to get right to mail. We're justified and we don't ignore Mail, 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 mail. <laughs> I know. <laughs> edit point, when Karen and I heard this, we were like, what? That's girl. <laughs> I know. This Come on, you give me that strap for creativity, Carl. So uh, now this is the second time we've talked about girl and Mondays. So we're going to just have to say this is a not safe for work, actually not safe for humans podcast that Mark <laughs> Miller, his wife and I do, along with Richard Campbell, who is the co-host of .NET Rocks, another podcast that I do. And we don't do it as often as we'd like to, but we have some really funny out there shows, and that's at mondays.pwop.com. Just remember, it's not for kids. Sorry about that. Uh, so this is an email that we got from Gary Armstrong okay. on April 18th, and he says, Yo, dudes, I just wanted to say that it was your show that got me to try a ketogenic diet. I love to know how things work, so when you two dudes got into the science of how the body works, I was hooked. I thought the concept of fasting was interesting also. Ancient peoples often fasted when mourning over something or meditating or whatever, and I always thought that was interesting. In fact, it was a passage in the book of Esther that intrigued me. She, Queen of Persia, mm -hmm. asked an entire nation of Jews to fast for three days. Asking a few people to fast is one thing, but thousands of people spread out over an empire? That's quite a commitment. Yeah, that seemed doomed to fail. I'd always heard of Catholics who can't seem to actually fast during Lent and Muslims who can't seem to fast during Ramadan. They usually fail or do a limited fast like avoid chocolate or something. After your explanation of how insulin levels make fasting extremely difficult and how our modern diet of insulin-happy, sugar-rich, carbohydrate-laden foods make insulin spikes a part of daily life, it made so much more sense. And when you explain how fasting gives you mental clarity as your body produces ketones that help the brain, it started to really make sense as to why fasting was a common practice. Anyway, enough of that aside. My favorite show so far has to be the insulin show. That was the light bulb show. I thought I knew how the process works, but somehow didn't realize that insulin also blocks fat from being consumed. Not only that, but that's actually what it's supposed to do. Yeah. After all, the biggest priority for your body is reducing the glucose level. After all, too much unprocessed sugar in your blood has a nasty habit of making you dead. <laughs> <laughs> too much fat doesn't have nearly as dramatic an effect. No. Also, I'd love it if you talked more about those studies in Japan from 45 to 65. Was the heart disease potentially correlated with switching temporarily to a Western diet due to the fact that Japan's domestic food production was destroyed and they had to import American food? Hmm. 
Hmm. I'm not sure if that's the point that was being made. I know traditionally the Japanese diet has had a lot of oily fish like mackerel, and they eat a lot more vegetables and tend to use land animals as flavoring as opposed to a main meal. Yeah. They also treat food more like medicine. And he goes on to say, and this is great. I appreciate this, Gary. He goes on to say, one of the worst things that we do to ourselves is treat food as fuel. We count in calories and decide on calories. Eastern practices tend to look at what food does, which is kind of like treating food like information. Looking at it from a programmer's point of view, it makes total sense. Yeah. Food is essentially a program. Their DNA contains instruction sets, which make them what they are, but essentially communicate information to our body. Once we understand that food equals information, it becomes more about controlling the message. If we only treat it like simple fuel, it's like treating a JSON API call like a stream of electric pulses. Not too useful. And that's a total programmer <laughs> reference I, there, people. I think we've lost everybody but programmers by now. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> but but I get it. It really it makes a lot of sense that the, the food that you eat programs your body to react and respond. Right. And by extension, the food that you don't eat also has a similar effect. Mm. Well, it has another effect. Yeah. Anyway, I was wondering if you had any information on sumo wrestlers. They seem quite healthy despite their weight, and I don't believe they often have diabetes. One article talked about their fat being subcutaneous as opposed to visceral, and he links to the article. But I feel there's more to it than that. Another article mentions that their weight gain is due to habits, sleeping after eating, exercising on an empty stomach, and that the food that they eat is actually very healthy. Again, another link. We will include those. I've had lots of Japanese nabe, and it definitely has tons of vegetables. I don't know what he means there. What's Japanese nabe? Do you know? I, don't, I have no idea. All right. It's a dish, obviously. Anyway, I'd love for you guys to weigh in on this, <laughs> and perhaps even do a show on cultural eating patterns in different cultures, like the Inuit which seem counterproductive but are actually healthy. I'll finish this long email with this one thing. I was 80 kilograms a few weeks ago. After following many of the keto principles, I lost five kilos, all on my waistline, in three weeks. More importantly, I don't feel hungry, don't crave sugars, and feel more energized each day. It feels more like I can hear my body talking to me, and I'm making better choices in food. Thanks for reading to the end, dudes. Gary Armstrong. Yeah, thanks, Gary. That's awesome. Wow. I I, th I think it's it's. I would love to do a show on uh, ritual eating patterns and and certainly about uh, fasting from a religious perspective because one of the things that happened was that uh, when we invented agriculture, the the people who kept the knowledge of how to make this ag how to make this food. Uh, was the priesthood, right. and so we have things like this: the wheat being the staff of life, and the, uh, give give us our day, our daily bread, and all of these. Right. The bread is very, in fact, you know, it's part of the Eucharist for for the Catholic Catholic uh, uh, religion, and so it's all it's all be the the concept of eating carbohydrates is all bound up in this religious practice, as is the concept of dieting, which makes it cultural. Yeah, very yeah, much which so. makes it cultural. So it, it's very hard to get rid of that. Yeah. Absolutely. 
So as far as sumo wrestlers, I'm going to do some research onto that. I know that sumo wrestlers, they feed them like six bowls of rice a day plus as much beer as they could drink. Right. And so I'm not sure that that's necessarily a healthy diet. Yeah. But uh, that's that's the that's very similar to the diet that they feed uh, Wagyu beef as well. Right. And look at Wagyu beef and it's, you know, it's like it's like meat flavored fat. It's delicious. It's, it's delicious. <laughs> but yes. So there is something to um, the idea that you can be f- overweight and healthy at the same time. And Very much so. there was a study that I just saw, and I'll have to link to it somewhere, that shows a difference between people who have fat on their butt, you know, big butts, yeah. but small waists, and then the people that have visceral fat. So there is something to that. I'm just not sure that sumo wrestlers fall into that category or why for that matter. But we'll we'll do some more digging. Thanks, Gary. Yeah, definitely. All right. So we have a special guest, Mark Miller. He is here. I'm going to let him tell the story of how he came to the ketogenic diet. Uh, I just want to say right at the outset that we are not doctors. We are not giving anybody medical advice. And we certainly aren't saying that the ketogenic diet cures cancer. We have read some research, which we'll share, that does show that eating ketogenic uh, shrinks tumors in mice, and it's also been, uh, studies have been done with people as well. That said, welcome, Mark, and tell us your story. Thanks, Carl. Um, In uh, November of 2015, just a few days before the American holiday of Thanksgiving, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And uh, I was, uh, it was a bit of a surprise. It was, it was after a tough year for my wife and I already. We had, we had gone through a whole bunch of uh, stressful items. I remember looking at, I found like a, a survey online that said, you know, answer these questions. And, you know, if you, to figure out what your life expectancy is, if anything, these things happen to you. And it had like 11 questions. And out of the 11, I think we had eight that had happened to us in the prior year of wow. events that we were that we were balancing and dealing with, right? So it's like, wow, <laughs> you know, definitely it got my attention. I was like, you know, we got to calm ourselves down. And then the, the cancer diagnosis came in, and um, I was uh, I kind of went into a little mini depression. I'm I'm on a, on the autistic spectrum, so I tend not to be you know mired by emotional um, you know uh, emotional weight. However, for about nine days, I was I was kind of uh, a little bit despondent. I was trying to figure things out. I was, you know, telling myself things like, you know, I got to I got to stop saying no to the kids when they asked to play and when they asked to have, you know, fun, that sort of thing. And then I, I got myself out of the the depression and I started I started doing research. And one of the things I stumbled upon was a study uh, by a a doctor at the University of Southern Florida uh, whose name is uh, Dominic D'Agostino, I think, yeah. and. Uh, he, he did a study in 2013 where he had uh, some mice and he injected them with metastatic cancer. And uh, he had a control group that he fed a high-carbohydrate diet and a, another group that he uh, fed essentially the ketogenic diet. And then he had one more group that he did the ketogenic diet plus hyperbaric oxygen therapy or, or HBOT. Which is interesting all in and of itself, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. So, so at, at the end of his 2013 study, he found that the mice on the ketogenic diet lived about 53% longer. Wow. So if, if the lifespan for the mouse with metastatic cancer was normally 100 days, they'd get 153 days if they were on the ketogenic diet. Ketogenic diet plus um, hyperbaric oxygen therapy uh, gave the mice about an, an, another 77%. 
Another 77 or 77 total? Sorry, 77, uh, 177% life expectancy. So they essentially, so to be clear, if you were on ketogenic diet alone, if you added hyperbaric oxygen therapy, you could take your additional life expectancy and and increase that again by half of what you've already increased it. Wow. You know, I, I, I started that by saying to be clear, and I realized maybe that's not as clear as, as it is. Maybe a clear way of saying it is, if you normally have 100 days as a mouse with metastatic cancer, if you do hyperbaric uh, oxygen therapy plus the ketogenic diet, you get 177 days. Right. Sure. Okay. So, so what is this hyperbaric thing you talk about? So hyperbaric oxygen uh, therapy is uh, you're in a chamber. Uh, the pressure goes up to uh, somewhere between 1.3 atmospheres and 2.0 atmospheres. So it essentially goes up to double. The oxygen concentration goes up to about 100% or close to that. And you're in that for a couple times a week, about an hour or something along those lines. And you went out and bought one. I did. I bought I, I, I bought a hyperbaric oxygen uh, uh, chamber uh, so that I could have that and, and have that at home. Because if you go out and have these, uh, go to these sessions, they're about $100 a session. And, um, and I had also done research private, independently of this before, uh, before this. So I'm on the autistic spectrum and my son is also on the autistic spectrum. And I had done research that led me to hyperbaric oxygen therapy or HBOT as a, um, as a remarkable kind of, uh, I don't know if I'm going to call it a cure, but of something that, that drops, the, um, uh, drops the markers, the indicators for uh, autism, autistic spectrum. So, for example, if you're on the autistic spectrum, you like to isolate, for example. That's one of the, the indicators. Wow. You, you like to, um, they tend to isolate. Uh, they have a sensitivity to loud noises. Uh, they, um, uh, difficulty focusing is another one. And so w during the test uh, or, or during the, the um the, the test with hyperbaric oxygen therapy, what they found was folks with autism would drop across the board in all of these markers. They wouldn't go away. Wow. But in terms of the, the ratings that the parents would give and also that the, uh, the doctors would give is, let's say it's on a scale of, of 1 to 10 and, and uh, you scored like an average of 7 on several of these indicators, um, those would drop down to about 4s. Wow. Instead of sevens, and so I'd already done research, and I was considering getting a, a an H, a, a hyperbaric oxygen therapy chamber for my son, uh, and possibly also for myself as well. But then when the diagnosis came in, and I also saw the secondary link to it, I said, "Okay, I'm going to get one of these." And uh, it looks chambers. like a kind of a long, thin bathtub, right? Yeah, they come in different sizes and shapes, uh, but the cheapest ones you can get. So here's the thing. If you want to get the, the medical grade ones, those are going to run you uh, $100,000 used. Maybe, oh, jeez. Maybe $70,000 used. Wow. Um, and and those can go up to two atmospheres and deliver 100% oxygen. But I, I really do not recommend anybody doing that without a doctor. Yeah, it's because, crazy. Money. Because, well, yeah, there's a couple things. One is crazy money. Two is that's a lot of oxygen at high pressure. Yeah. If sure. anything goes wrong inside of that chamber, you can't get out quickly. Yeah. Okay. So, so the other alternative are these uh, um, vinyl, they're kind of like a reinforced vinyl soft chamber. And they go up to about 1.3 atmospheres in the United States. And outside the United States, you can get some that go up to 1.5 atmospheres. And, um, and, and that's what I have. I have one that goes to 1.3 atmospheres. I, I had done research that I, I had extended the research out to, with, regards to, with regard to the cancer. And I, was, and I basically concluded for myself that 1.3 atmospheres was going to be okay. 
I was going to augment that with oxygen. So when you buy these chambers in the United States, you uh, essentially need a prescription for them. And, uh, and also with regards to the oxygen, you need a prescription for that too. And the thing that's tricky about this whole thing is that if you want to get an oxygen concentrator to use with this, you need um, the prescription to to deliver essentially 10 liters per minute. You need it. You need a lot of oxygen. Mm. Mm. And most doctors are going to be like, what? That doesn't that doesn't feel right. You're I'm worried about oxygen toxicity for you. Sure. The thing is, is when it's delivering 10 liters per minute, that's in at one atmosphere. When you try to pump that oxygen into a chamber that's at 1.3 atmospheres, the flow drops significantly lower. Yeah. So it's not that dangerous. However, so so these are some precautions that I use. One is when I'm in the chamber, no electronics, uh, essentially all cotton, hmm. because I I don't want to. Uh, I'm I'm trying to minimize the risk of a, of essentially a fire in there. The the problem is, is once oxygen gets up above what it is normally in our atmosphere, you have the ability for fire to spread incredibly quickly. Right. And you really don't want that had to happen. Sure. So, so for me, when I'm in there, I have basically my procedure is is if there is a fire, which is highly unlikely, but if there were, I'm essentially unzipping the uh, the uh, pressurized zipper seal, and I'm going to incur uh, barotrauma in my ears, so I don't get burned to death. In other yeah. words, I'm going to take that pain. So, so that's what I did in in response. But there's one other study that I looked at too. Okay. Also by the same guy, uh, Dr. D'Agostino. And uh, and this study is a study he did two years later in 2015. Okay. So he's got the same mice again. He's injecting them with metastatic cancer. Uh, he's got the ketogenic diet. He's got hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And he also has um, uh, ketone supplements that, right. he, that he has essentially researched or, or had somebody create for him. And the ketone supplements, uh, apparently what they do is they put the body in a, in a, by themselves, I believe, this is, if I understand this, and, and to be honest, the information is not entirely clear in terms of what these supplements do. Okay. But, but what I believe they do is they put the body in a, in a, in a state of ketosis without having the need to actually be on the ketogenic diet. Is that's what... That's exactly right. Yeah. They produce ketones without being in ketosis. Yeah, I think that's correct. They are so, ketones. So it's so for somebody who wants to lose weight in a ketogenic diet, that's not a shortcut because nah. it's really the process of being in ketosis that makes you lose weight. But what you're saying is that taking additional dietary ketones will um, has health benefits even above and beyond what being in dietary ketosis does. For, well, at least for, for the cancer. cancer. At least for the cancer, that seems to be the true. The, right. It seems to be true. So the numbers with the mice again, right? So so the mice, just on a normal high-carbohydrate diet, they're dying in 100 days. Add ketogenic diet, they die in 153 days, so they get an extra 53 days of life. Right. Add um, hyperbaric oxygen therapy. By the way, hyperbaric oxygen therapy on its own without a ketogenic diet has no impact at all on the, in the numbers. Wow, interesting. It has no impact. It's only when combined with the ketogenic diet that it has that additional 25% bonus. Wow. Okay? And then, the, and then here's the kicker. When you take the supplements as well, the ketone supplements as well, um, mice live 203 days or 103% oh, wow. longer. That's wow. quite a lot longer, yeah. Yeah, it is. And so, and so that's the, the benefit. So, so I went out looking for ketone supplements. If they weren't injected with metastatic cancer, these mice that were all of the same age would live for how long? I don't know. We'll have to look that That's up. That's a very good question. That was what I wanted to know. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, yeah, I don't know. And I'm using this 100 days as because it's easier to think of, you no, know, no, more I than 100% yeah, yeah. and yeah, that sort sure. of thing. 
So I don't know what those what what that control number. Would so be. if basically what up. I'm saying is, if that number is 200 days, then you've effectively cured it. Yeah. Right? No, I hear what you're saying, and yeah. I don't I don't know the answer to that. Ultimately, what I was and and I I I decided that the answer, and I wondered about that, but I decided the answer to that really wasn't necessary. Sure. Because for for me, in terms of the decisions I was going to make, I had enough information. Yeah. For what I needed to do. Hmm. So I, I I actually talked to my friend Richard Morris about this, and I said, "Here's what I'm thinking about mate. doing." And yeah, and and <laughs> and Richard's like, "Yeah, you should do it. That's what I've been doing this whole time, and I've been telling you, but you haven't been listening, or something <laughs> along those lines." And and it was kind of like that was the discussion. I was like, "Okay, so Richard Morris is on board with essentially the the hacking my body." And what I really wanted to do is I wanted to I wanted to bypass. Everything. I really didn't want to get a prostatectomy. Right. I didn't want to. I, and, and by the way, the doctors. So here's the deal. Right. This is. And again, you know, we are not doctors. No, we're not. This is not at all. What I'm telling you is what what worked for me. Right. Okay. But but I had a lot of doctors telling me they wanted to inject um, female hormones into my body because that would shrink the size of the tumor before they operated on it. And they said it would take about six months of doing that, and there would be long-term permanent side effects from that. And I was like, no, thank you. And the let's, you know, we're all adults here, you know, kids, pluck your ears, but there were sexual side effects that you weren't looking forward to, right? Right. There, there was, well, there were sexual side effects. There were, there were of the, um, for the prostatectomy, there are two major side effects that, 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 that impact you. One is your you continence, which is can take like a uh, up to a year to get back, or and for some small percentage of folks, they never get continence back. So there's a there's a risk of and it's in, in a double digit risk, I think, of um, not being able to control your bowels, of not being able to control well, at least urine, urine, oh, right? Okay. <laughs> and so so that's number that's that was one of the things I was facing. The other one is is sexual dysfunction. It's essentially, it's wiped out and it may take up to a year to come back. And when it comes back, it may not be as good. Right. And every option I was looking, every medical option I was looking at was essentially saying, oh yeah, we got that. Those are the two things you're facing with us too. And Re- just deal with it. Yeah. So I, I could have also had radiation. I had folks saying, well, okay, we want to do radiation and a prostatectomy. Yeah. Right. And I was like, I was like, yeah, you know what I want to do? I want to go, I, I want to go just on the ketogenic diet and I want to just monitor the heck out of this thing. Right. Unfortunately, or I don't know if unfortunately is the right word, or maybe fortunately you could say, I'm not the only one that I felt like had the, the domain rights over my body. Yeah. My wife and my family, I thought to some degree had a, had a say in this. And from my wife's perspective, she wanted the thing removed as soon as possible. Right. So, and I was in her camp too. I was yeah, like, dude, so was go yeah. under, go under the knife. You don't want to mess around with this. So I was like, I was like, you know, and what I wanted to do is, I want to say, look, I want to wait till April. I want to go on the ketogenic diet till April. I want to, I want to, I want to monitor the heck out of this thing. I want to get MRIs. I want to, I want to get right in there and, and see how big it is. Right. So what you really wanted to do was see that it wasn't spreading and you right. know and see if it was shrinking yeah and if it, it was shrinking and it wasn't spreading you want to just continue the course right the problem was is that, so so here's the thing prostate cancer grows pretty slowly right so had this been pretty small i could have done that plan no problem right had we caught this earlier mm. the problem was is that i was at essentially i think what they call stage i think there was I'm not sure if stage is the right word, but they have three groups. Intermediate is the group I was in. Intermediate's got a wide range of acceptable locations. Mm. And I was on the far right side of that, right next to danger. 
to the operate now group. Okay. Okay. And and they said, yeah, you 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 basically have four months. I wouldn't give it any more than that before we need to take that out. That's what the doctors were saying. Okay. So uh, I was like, so I said, okay, we'll we'll go ahead and take it out, but I'm still going to be on the ketogenic diet because I've seen evidence that shows it sl- it slows the the growth rate. Right. The the doctor was like, we want to cut the nerves. So the deal is this. So he, he's the, the the cancer is very close. So in the prostate, there are two nerves that run down into the penis that basically provide your your all your data on you know what's happening down there. It's your sensitivity, right? Got it. Mm. And he's like, uh, I want to cut one of those nerves going down there. And I read the studies that sexual function, getting sexual function back, if you cut one of those nerves, is much harder. You drop, you you're, you it drops to like fifty percent or something like that. Yeah. If, you, if one of those nerves is cut, if both are cut, your chance of getting sexual function back is even lower. Oh. And by the way, that fifty percent is like my memory. I'm not, I'm not exactly recalling that for you know okay. if that's if that's one hundred percent true. So you might want to fact check that if you're sure. um, listening and you want to see what the real numbers are. Mm. At any rate, he's like, we want to cut one of those because it's pretty close to it. And I said, and I had I actually scheduled an MRI the the day before my surgery. Yeah. And and had them come back and they said, yeah, it looks like it's not touching the nerve. And I said, <sighs> I said, I don't want to take it out. And he goes, I want to take it out because of you know he doesn't want me coming back in five years with cancer again. Mm. And I said, that's my choice. That's my risk. I want to take it. Don't cut it. So he doesn't cut the nerve. Good. We go under, we, 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 I do, think. we do the surgery. Um, and a week later, the biopsy comes back. So they take out the prostate and they do a biopsy around the entire outer shell of the prostate to see if there's any detectable. Yeah, they're going to look at the margins to see how far that it's ingressed into the area that they cut out. Yeah, they want to see if it's escaped out into your body, sure. essentially, is what they're right. ch- testing for. And um, we we go back in, and he says, uh, it, had, it apparently has not escaped. And so everything nice. we did was the right decision. Mm. So so awesome. so I didn't go with the, you know, the female hormones. I did not go with radiation. I didn't do any of this stuff that was going to mess with my body. I simply had the thing removed. Now, the good news is for me is I had essentially achieved continence the day of the surgery. Wow. I was, I was, I, you know, they gave me an adult diaper. I wore that for the, like the night one and night two. And then I realized I wasn't needing that. And so, and that was it. And so for me, the continence problem was essentially solved uh, from day one. So I, th- I think it was like, I'm extremely, I don't know if you want to call it lucky yeah. or um, yeah, you know, you are. Maybe. Eight, <laughs> relieved, yeah. definitely atypical, atypical for sure. Your results are probably going to vary right. from that. I haven't heard anybody that, that, that essentially achieved that. Um, but, 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 but I would say too, though, that, that, that co- achieving that continence was a struggle. There were times like I'd be at a movie theater and I'd be like, I'd have to get up a couple times at the movie theater right. to go to the bathroom. And and now I'm at a point where it's pretty much uh, undetectable from how it was before, wow. before the surgery. Wow. So this is, we're about three, four months after, I think we're three months after the surgery is where we are now. That's outstanding recovery. And uh, what about the other side effects, the sexual side effects? So, so sexual sexual dysfunction, yeah, that hit hard and was pretty depressing for about three months. Yeah. To the point that I was like, you know, I am going to, you know, insert a robot into my body <laughs> to fix this problem. <laughs> I will do whatever it takes. And Viagra or other drugs like that didn't seem to help. No, at it was all. no. It was like I, it was it was the hardest thing mentally about this whole thing. Yeah. Um. And then and then just last week, uh, I I don't know what you know what what's the the best way to say um uh, uh 
Uh, you could. Boing, you like could. that. <laughs> Tumescence appeared. Yeah, just last week, and it was so funny, too. So we have a friend, Richard Campbell. Yeah. And Richard Campbell, who's also, you know, works with Carl and some of the other shows they do. And Richard Campbell was one of the strongest advocators for the surgery. Yeah. And I and for, like, three months, I was, like, you know, you know, cursing Richard Campbell because of, you know, the sexual dysfunction. Right. And I was like, ah. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, it's like back. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, Richard Campbell, Richard Campbell running around the room. Richard Campbell, yay. So it was. And I, saying some other things that we can't repeat on this family anyway, show. Yeah, it's a family yeah. show. So anyway, so, yeah. so that appear, appears to be back. Um, or at least, you know, my hope is that it's, you know, um, I guess pun intended growing, it's going to be a better fee. It's going to be yeah. a, a, an improved feature, uh, and, uh, improving. So, so I'm, I'm really, ex- I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about that. That's not bad. So when do you go back to test again to see if it came back? So this is speculation. I'm not at all an expert, but this is what I believe is true. Okay. That when they do the test around the outside, they can only test, um, they can only get a sense of certainty that it's escaped, but then there's an uncertainty because it's just so tiny they can't detect it. Right. Yeah. That's my under. That's what I believe is true. My understanding as well. Yeah. And so when he says, when the doctor tells me that I'm cured, what he's really saying or what I'm hearing is I've got about five years before if anything really slipped out that they would find it again. Okay. That's kind of what I'm. My belief is. The other thing that I understand about this, it seems a little, it's a little unusual. But if that cancer got out, that that cancer that's in the rest of my body, say it attaches to my lungs, that's not lung cancer. It's still prostate cancer of the lung. Because yes, but on the lung because where it originated from. Okay. Which, if everything I understand is true, that means it's still slow growing. Which means staying on the ketogenic diet makes a lot of sense for essentially the rest of my life. Yeah. And do you plan to continue using the hyperbaric chamber for the rest of your life too? Yeah, I think so. I I'm like, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm at a point. Now, here's the thing. The, with the hyper, with the ketogenic diet, I see definite known results, right? I, I, I experience uh, an increase in mental acuity. Yeah. Absolutely. Which for me is somebody who uses his brain to write code. Right. I am writing code at a higher level of complexity and greater depth than I ever have been. Wow. Or, or maybe not ever have been, but than I, than I have been in the last 20 years. Wow. In other yeah. words, I'm at the, the level of mental, acu- mental acuity that I was about 20 years ago. When, and then it, it started to fade as I was like drinking all the, all the sodas. Diet and, soda and, was a thing with you. Yeah, I was yeah, drinking was. lots of diet soda. I was drinking probably about uh, two liters a day. It's funny that Richard Campbell was the one who said, dude, that stuff is killing you. Aspartame, here's the uh, research on that. And you decide to kick that. And I remember that was about what, eight? five, seven years ago? Yeah, and I and I essentially did. I would still do Diet Coke every once in a while, something along those lines. Um, but but yeah, it, it, there was that. But but there was, um, but the thing is, is my body was running on carbs. Yeah. And when my body was running on carbs, the problem is, is that my brain was getting foggy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 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 its ability to to concentrate, to hold huge amounts of detail at once, um, and and to design was was diminishing. Yeah. And as a result, instead of writing code, I was managing people who were writing code and and just making. I was making good decisions in terms of where we should go, but they were simple decisions that didn't require a lot of concentration. Yeah, yeah. And now that's, I, I, I'm just like, if you look at my, I'm, I'm so prolific now with regards to the amount of code that I'm writing. I'm back in again. That's so great. I'm, I'm writing <laughs> stuff that normally would be, would, would scare developers to write. 
you know, where developers will be like, yeah, I don't want to be on that team to do that thing because that's too complex, but I'm doing it single-handedly and I'm doing a, a relatively effective job as measured by the test cases I'm creating and, and the quality of the code that I'm putting in. So I went to visit Mark and Karen. Karen is his wife. And she also went on the ketogenic diet and she was all in and Mark was all in. And I said, you guys, if you're doing it, I'm doing it. And that's what essentially started me down this path. I got in touch with Richard Morris on Facebook. We are friends. And I did see even last year his posts about, you know, turns out everything that you know, uh, you know, everything that they tell you about nutrition is wrong. Here's I'm living proof of it. And I was really impressed then. I'm still impressed. And, you know, here we are. Uh, just one thing I want to say about that, Carl. If you are th- if you have a partner and you're thinking about going on the ketogenic diet, get your partner to go on it with you as well. Yeah, I was just going to say that because Karen Karen came to me and said, look, really, how do I, get, how do I make this work for Mark? And I said, number one, uh, it's easier if you both do it. And, uh, I mean, Julie did it with me. She didn't have to. She wasn't diabetic. Uh, and she had a 35-kilo weight loss. She went from, like, 95 kilos to about 60 kilos. So... You know, that's that's a significant weight loss. Kelly doesn't do it with me, but she is so supportive. That's awesome. She also is one of these people who doesn't eat breakfast naturally and then just tends to snack on things like bacon anyway during the day Fine. and eat a regular meal. So she her metabolism's really good. However, you know, she says uh, she wants to do it with me just to see if she can. She obviously feels a lot better since meeting me. She's cut out all these sugars and... And, and stuff, and, and, and she feels better just by being influenced by me. Yeah, she was telling me today that she her metric for how, your improvement is how far she can get her hand around you, and she can get That's around right. to the first knuckle. So, you know, I mean, where she couldn't, when, when you started, she couldn't at all. So, I mean, that, that's a, that beats a tape measure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's a real measure. Like, you know, it started, I don't know, maybe five or six inches, something like that now. Sure. And so we do that every once in a while, and she'll say, ah, oh, you're not having a good week, are you? Or, wow, you definitely had a good <laughs> week. So I don't measure my waist at all. She she just does that when we hug. Well, you know, you have indicators, Carl. You were on a plane the other day, and you posted yeah. that you could get on without the extension. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so you have some some indicators. I've, I've lost, I think, about two inches. I've been, I've my belt is was already on its tightest Titus buckle hole when yeah. I started this. And so I've been taking out the awl and cutting new holes in it as I've been going through the diet. I've you lost... know what I found works really well? A power drill. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I bet that would work well. And a block of wood. Yeah. I want to say I lost about 20 pounds on this, about nine kilos wow. since I started this. And I was, you know, Richard knows me. You're quite slim, yeah. I was relatively slim. Now, I was gaining some in my stomach. My carb intake, um, I'd say, was was probably about 400, um, something like that, around 400 um, uh, grams a day gr- Grams a day is what I think I was probably at. I was having large hot chocolates every morning at, at, um, you know, at uh, Starbucks, for example. And I would just, I, I was having a lot of carbs when I started this. And I was like, what's going on with my stomach? And I w- had actually talked myself into believing that it wasn't fat on my stomach, that it was just uh, my stomach, dis- you know, sticking out because I was an old man disease or something <laughs> like that. Well, you're inflamed. We just yeah. talked about this last week with my daughter, Emmy. You you have inflammation when you have that many carbs. And then just by cutting them out, you sort of, everything sort of shrinks. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and then Karen... Karen had been struggling with losing weight for about good two years. Right. She was exercising like crazy, limiting her calorie intake. Which doesn't help. Exercise, you can't outrun a bad diet. 
Mm. And she is, and she was looking like she was hit by a truck. Yeah. And and when we started this, so we Karen and I started this on the, I think the same day. Yeah. Um, we we'd been doing it for about four days or something like that. We we went to I I we separated. I I was on a business trip, and uh, on about the day before I came back, that mental acuity hit her. No, it hit well, it hit me. Oh, right. And I was like, I was like, whoa. What is this? Right. And I was like, my my, uh, my awareness of space and it's time. It's like being on octane, isn't it? Yeah. It's just like you, your energy, you, your your fuel system just changed up to pure octane. I was walking. I, I was walking through my hotel room, moving towards to do a task, and my and I was and I saw something on the on the on the table that was needed for a secondary task, and I'd reach and grab that as walking by. My awareness of space and time, right? My space right. around me and the time both behind me and in front of me was increasing. Right. And it happened on, on the day before I came back. I get back and Karen is talking so fast as we're driving back from the airport. She's driving me back. And she's talking about how she has done all of these tasks in the last two days. Yeah. And all of these things have been happening. She has so much energy. And I, and we were just grab, just going back and forth so fast. And we've maybe slowed down a bit because we're calm and we're... You know, you know, chill, chill yeah. about the whole thing. Right. But we are, we are, we're both. That's the number one benefit for it. It's the reason yeah. why we're staying on it. I think is because we get every day we feel great yeah. about what we can do. And she looks great. I mean, she you does. can obviously see it. Uh, right. Her her complexion's better. Her skin is better. Her weight is better. She just looks healthy. Yeah, she was. And the thing was, I, I want to say this, Carl. She was for two years. She was working really hard to try to lose weight using all the traditional. Um, uh, the traditional means to do that. Yeah. And she was not. She was gaining she weight was gaining the whole weight. time, even by restricting calories. Yeah. And it was killing her. Yeah. That's insane. And now she's she's lost 13 pounds. So instead of gaining weight this whole, these last three months, she's lost weight. Yeah. This, 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 these last three months. She's fasted, I think, at least once yeah. during this time. And she's, she, she, and this is the other thing that's very cool is you realize when you're fasting that, oh, I can do this. I don't, right. I used to be, my mood used to be directly impacted by whether I had carbs in my body recently or yes, not. Me too. Yes. And, it, and if I didn't have them, I would be really upset and angry and non-functional. You're on the roller coaster. Literally, you, the more carbs you have, the, 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 the bigger the swings in the roller coaster. And it just takes your brain out of whatever you're doing at that moment. Totally. Right. And so now I'm at a point where I'm like, oh, okay, food's not available to me. That's okay. I yeah. can wait. I can I, I can burn the stuff I've got on me <laughs> and not and don't and I don't lose mental acuity during that time. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, everybody seems to have the same experience here. Yeah. And that is you get uh, and and I said last week, Mark, that when I talk to people about this and they say, yes, but I couldn't give up carbs, you know, that that feeling <laughs> that they have, I can I have a metaphor for it. And I say, you have poison ivy. And what you're fearing is the fact that you'll not be able to scratch the itch because you like scratching the itch feels good. Sure. And you're afraid if you go on ketogenic, you won't be able to scratch it. But what about if you just lost the poison ivy? What about what if we take the poison ivy away? What if there's no itch? You can't imagine yourself that. And so people think, oh, no, that's 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 impossible. Also, there are substitute foods that you can eat that that make up for the things you can't eat, and yeah. they're not they're not bad. They're not bad, and it really only takes you about a month, uh, maybe even less, of you know doing that for yourself and cooking a lot of extra stuff that fills that void. And and like I say, man, after four or five weeks, I went on a fast. 
everything changed and I was done you know, eating during the day and just one meal a day. The other thing that happened too, Karen told me this. So Karen, Karen is someone who craves sugar, right? She, you cannot put like a cupcake in front of her. And she went to uh, a birthday party and was surrounded by, by sugar. And she said it was, it was, it was not a big deal. It was like, right. she had not, she had no cravings at all while she was there. Right. And I think that's true. Yeah. And I, can I just say this? Cause I want to say my, my top substitute foods on sure, the keto yeah, diet sure. that, are, that are good. So so one of the things that's a staple for me is bacon. I, I love bacon and I will I'll put two pans <laughs> on, I'll cook the whole thing, a pound of bacon, <laughs> and I'll make that and whatever's left I'll eat. Because the kids Mark are like, always, you know Mark has always been as long I've known him for twenty five years. He's always been a bacon nut. Oh I, yeah, me there, too. There are legendary stories about <laughs> being bacon actually <laughs> that go back. It's gotta be crispy. <laughs> That's, that's, that's true. So yeah, it's, it does have to be crispy, right? So, yeah. so bacon, of course, right? And one of the things I'll do on bacon, in, in, and this is like maybe sounds a little sick, but, uh, but if you eat too much bacon, the salties kind of gets gross. Mm-hmm. But what I do so that I can eat a lot of bacon, because I'm very happy when I eat bacon, is I'll take um, <laughs> cream cheese and spread it right on the bacon and eat it. I do it too. It totally <laughs> mellows out the saltiness of it. Yep. And so, and so I will do that. Um, cheese crisps. So you can make these. Um, Carl introduced to me the to me to these. These is this os- the Asiago, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can also buy them as well. So even even oh, like wow. convenience stores will have um, uh, just these cheese crisps. Crisps you can get there for like putting on salads. You can find them in the salad sections where they sell croutons sometimes. Those are a, a, a nice substitute. Um, and then the other one that I do all the time is oopsie bread. Uh, Karen and I will, I'll make, I'm the guy who makes the oopsie bread. I'll make, we'll get that out, but we'll get like a stick of butter. And between the two of us, we'll both have about a quarter stick of butter (laughs) spread on the oopsie bread. It's great. Fresh, hot out of the oven. And it's, it's kind of like a popover is what it has a consistency of. And Carl, by the way, introduced me to some amazing pizza. That pizza recipe, you got to share here if you haven't done that yet. Isn't that good? The fathead pizza. These recipes have all been shared on the show. So if you've heard the earlier shows, those, that's where you go. But those are all, they're life changers, right? They're like, Definitely. You, you can, you cook more. Better. Right? The, I reckon the fathead pizza base is better than a regular flour, uh, wheat flour pizza base. Especially if you get it to crispy, right? Oh, yeah. In terms of taste, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. as good. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, it's, those things right there are not bad. And then when I go out to eat, I'm just getting meat and like, you know, salads and dressing yep. and, um, you know, I'll do this too. I'll order an omelet. And then I'll spread butter on the omelet oh, so yeah. I make sure I get my fat. <laughs> I say bring some extra butter when I order a steak and they look at me like I'm crazy and I'm going to die. But you it know? tastes and, great. And it's good for you. It's if, health food. If they bring meat to you and it's dry, just slap some butter on that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the way to do it. Go. So yeah. anyway, so that's how I am right now. I've been on the ketogenic diet uh, since, uh, what, November? I'm about five months into it, I think. Um, it's and, awesome. And I'm I'm really enjoying what it's what it's done to my brain. Really, this has been a, a a great discussion. And again, we don't want to say that ketogenic diets cure cancer. That's obviously silly for us to say that. But uh, it's good to hear your story, Mark. There's a tendency to think that every problem is a is a nail when you have a hammer. And uh, the ketogenic diet does a lot of good things. It may or may not have an effect on cancer. And there are. Thomas Seafried and uh, Dom D'Agostino, uh, both uh, and a number of other researchers are all researching, uh, uh, study, or doing studies on on how this mechanism works. There's a proposed hypothesis for the mechanism, and that is basically that that um, cancer is a disease, is not 
is not a disease of of uh, necessarily a damaged DNA, but it's a d- disease of damaged mitochondria, damaged energy production. That's what happens first, and then the re- reactive oxygen species that are spun off from the mitochondria going bad cause the DNA breakdown, and um, and that. Um, that theory is is in the air. I mean, it's still yet to be proven and yet to be shown. But there's certainly but that theory some is supported by the ketogenic diet, uh, shrinking tumors. Yeah. Also, that tumors thrive on glucose. That's their main source of fuel for growing. And and it, and insulin. Insulin tells them to grow. Also, oxygen deprivation. Right. The solid tumor is low in oxygen. That's why that that's at least hypothesized why the HBOT pushes that pushes more of that the concentrated oxygen at the higher pressure gets more of that oxygen there, which also slows the growth. All right, well, let's break out the cookbooks because it's time for recipes. Could you save your due for a little? Recipes. 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 <laughs> Carl, so what have you got for us today? All right, well, I follow this YouTube channel called Caveman Keto. You guys have oh, heard yeah. of this guy, right? Yeah. Caveman Keto, he's got great recipes. He was in search of the best bread substitute. You know, what did it what is mm. it? And I've been all over the map and the Oopsie bread is a really great great yeah, one for me. It works really well. But I tried his almond bun recipe and it was fantastic. And here's what it is. It's basically um almond meal or almond flour, eggs, yeah. butter, if you like a little sweetener, you could throw some xylitol, some Splendor, whatever in there, and a little baking powder, which makes sense because baking powder uh, takes the place of yeast to make things rise, right? Yeah. So I'll put the link to the recipe out there, but here it is. It's three quarters of a cup of Bob's Red Mill almond flour. Of course, if you don't have Bob's, you can get whatever almond oh, meal or almond we flour. We get Bob's Red Mill in Australia as well, so that's yep. awesome. But it's good. Two large eggs, five teaspoons of unsalted butter. I also use sometimes uh, cream cheese instead of butter or both. Uh, optional one and a half teaspoons of Splenda or some sort of sweet thing. I, I find that I don't need that, but go ahead. And also one and a half teaspoons of baking powder. So you combine the dry ingredients in a bowl, you whisk in the eggs, you melt the butter and add that. You divide it equally into six parts and place in a muffin top pan or equivalent. If you don't know what these are, you can get them on Amazon or whatever. They're just six, uh, looks like cupcake pans, but they're bigger and more shallow. So they're for muffin tops. This turns out to be perfect for these buns because they come out bun shaped and flat on one side. Right, You bake them for 12 to 17 minutes at 350 degrees Fahrenheit, which varies by oven, so watch the first time. Let them cool, and I go the extra step of toasting them. So after they cool, and I mean you got to let them cool because you toast them when they're hot, what's the point, right? Let them cool, let them dry out a little bit, and then you put them in the toaster right before you're going to eat them. Oh, my God. (laughs) Angels are singing. Yeah. Great for burgers, bacon cheeseburgers, whatever. Great for open-faced sandwiches, right? And uh, and so the nutrition information is you got for two buns, right? You got 35 grams of fat, uh, four grams net carbohydrates. It's actually seven minus the three for fiber. 10 grams of protein, 373 calories. That's not bad. Takes about uh, five minutes to prep, 15 minutes to cook. 
That with a burger with a with a burger patty inside and a little bit of lettuce and cheese, yeah. Right, or a bacon egg cheese sandwich, you know, a breakfast sandwich yeah. or something like that, nice. which as you know, I kind of like those. So yeah, we have a burger chain called Grilled uh, Grill apostrophe D, which I mentioned before uh, when we were talking about fast food um, that in Australia, and they they make a burger pat they make a, a a burger bun very similar to that. They call it their low carb super bun, but it's basically almond meal and egg, uh, so very similar kind of thing. So that's awesome. Awesome. What do you got today, awesome. Richard? Well, I'm going to make cheese. <laughs> what? Yeah, I know. Uh, this is a very special type of cheese. It's called it's called kafferurst, which is a Swedish uh, coffee cheese. Um, it's actually uh, the original name for it. Uh, it's actually a, a Finnish squeaky cheese, uh, which is uh, uh, pronounced leopardjusto, but. Basically, what the Swedish decided this cheese was originally invented by the Finnish, but the, the by the Finns, but the Swedes uh, have uh, perfected it. Okay. And basically, what they worked out was they could take this cheese and drop it into a cup of coffee, into an espresso. Yeah. And the taste of that cheese in the espresso is like eating a concentrated tiramisu. Wow. So it's a cheesy coffee flavors all working together and it's actually easy to make cheese you can make you can make lots of different kinds of cheeses very simply but i'm going to talk about this uh kaffirs because it really is one of the simplest cheeses to make great um you have to get something called rennet now rennet is a uh a a gut enzyme from cow right it's a gut enzyme from 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 veal basically yes and basically what it does is it it's used to uh, to split milk proteins. It's like a curdling agent, right? Exactly that. Yeah. So so basically the you you buy this stuff in a in a squeeze jar and you keep it in the fridge. And uh, so what you need to make uh, make some kafferurst, which is a Swedish coffee cheese, is you need uh, about a liter of full cream milk, uh, about a cup of heavy cream, and a teaspoon of rennet. And it's going to make 16 coffee cup servings. Wow. Uh, so you basically he- heat the milk to to 37 degrees. That's basically body temperature. 37 Celsius, so I guess 98 Fahrenheit or 90, 90, uh, 97 or so Fahrenheit. Okay. And you, uh, so you heat the milk to body temperature. Now you're getting it to the point where it's, it's prepared to, it's prepared to curdle. So you add the rennet and you stir with a slotter spoon for 30 seconds and then you let it stand for 15 minutes until the curds have set. What actually happens is it separates the curds and the whey. And the curds are solid um, uh, uh, parts of the milk with protein and fat mm-hmm. and the whey is with the sugars and the protein. Okay. Other other kinds of protein. So, uh, so basically, then you you put a colander over a bowl to catch the whey, and you place a piece of piece of dampened mu- muslin cloth in the colander or cheesecloth, right? Or cheesecloth, or I actually use those blue Chuck's um, uh, kitchen wipes, uh, oh. fresh off the roll, of course, and uh, yeah, okay, and uh, put it in a bit of boiling water just to just to make sure there's no bacteria on it. Put it in the colander and 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 toss it in, and then once you're done, you just throw it away. So you, uh, so you basically put, you put the, you, you've got the, the curds and the whey have separated and you put them into the, into the colander with the cheesecloth inside, uh, and you put it into the fridge and you let it sit in the cheesecloth and the whey will, 
will slowly come out. So what you have left over is just the curds. Right. Um, and so then what you do is you preheat your oven, to, then you're going to cook them. And we're going to put it on a plate. We're going to preheat the oven to 200 Celsius. And we're going to pour the curds into an oven-proof dish about 15 centimetres in diameter and bake it in the oven for 40 minutes. So what you nice. end up with is, is, is a disc. It's like a very flat pie of this cheese. And then you slice it. And it's fresh cheese, so you don't have to age it. Fresh cheese. You've just made it. Absolutely. And it's not cultured, so we're not, we're not letting a lactobacteria culture in it we just right. we just uh it's fresh milk basically so so is it more like a fresh mozzarella or something it, that's very similar to what it is yeah it's kind of um it it it, it has a bit of uh like a a a cheesy it's a it's got a cheesiness to it which is quite quite nice and certainly yeah. goes delicious with coffee so yeah you slice the cheese the wheel of cheese into 16 wedges and you serve a wedge cut up into a good coffee and i've got a link on the show notes uh, to my blog which shows you how to make it and it shows you an example of how it looks so it's delicious awesome richard that's a show that's a show thank you mark yeah thank you guys mark is munching on uh macadamia nuts as we speak i bring them with me all the time Awesome. Macadamia, that's a very keto. Thanks again, Mark. And uh, we'll see you next time on Two Keto Dudes. Two Keto Dudes.